It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, can't, can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. First pitch to Adele. Lined into left center field, base hit. Here comes Jay with a tying run. Here comes Dice with a winning run. Playing a line drive, left center field. Jay on the run, dives, and he makes the catch to save the game. What a play by John Jay, racing towards left center, making an all-out dive, getting the ball in his glove and hanging on when he hit the deck. What a play by John Jay to keep this game alive for the Bees. First pitch to Gutierrez, swung on, that's lifted in the air left field. Alcantara going back, it's up there, it's out there, and it's gone. Just inside the foul pole and left. Drew Butera with his third home run of the season, and the Bees take a 2-1 lead. Swung on, and there it goes, deep to right field. The Bees have gone back-to-back, it's 3-1 Salt Lake. That one landed on top of the sidewalk in right field, in between the foul pole and the light standard. Swing a fly ball left field, Alcantara doesn't see it, now goes back, that ball's up there, it's out there, and it's gone! Three-run homer for Drew Butera, his second round tripper of the game, and the Bees take the lead again at 6-3. to three. Right there, the job you did, nobody else Richards knocks down another three. Terrific defense as well. Booker trying to draw the foul. Hucked away by Middleton. Bridges inside. Aiden for the line. And the third. Welcome into the Saturday show. Hope you all are doing great out there. Yawk and Lundy along for the ride. I'm Jay Catch. That is Alex Lundberg. We got Eric Jensen behind the glass. Been in the ones and twos, as it were. Lundy, what is up, my friend? You know, it's another Saturday. Happy to be here. Yeah. I, uh, it's another Saturday, that's for certain. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those days where I woke up and, you know, like where it's you get too much sleep. You know, like that feel. Well, you have kids, so probably you don't remember that feeling I, too I, okay. super well. But like, I remember that feeling. <laughs> I have not had that feeling in many, many years because yeah. I have a double whammy. I work early morning sports that's, radio, yeah, and I have two kids under the age of five. So. Yeah, but today was one of those days that, like, I don't know how or why, but I went to sleep relatively early last night okay. and still slept in this morning. And it was one of those days where I just, like, woke up, and it was like, okay, where am I? Who am I? What is going on? Okay. Humble and then, brag. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, dude, it felt so good. Like, it, you know, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been able to really sleep like that. And so, you know, I've kind of got my, my legs back under me. You know, I had my had my 300 milligrams of caffeine for breakfast, so I'm back on my, you know, I'm back <laughs> feeling normal again. But I, uh, man, I tell you what, I woke up just feeling like just, you know. Wait, 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 wait. So you still have one of those terrible energy drinks that you just consume constantly even after, like, a great night of sleep? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's. 
So, it's so, more like a dependence now. Than yeah, a, than how addicted? Yeah, I was about to say, how addicted are you? You know, about about normal. <laughs> this is awesome. This is a great way to start the show. <laughs> but you're, you're okay. I know exactly what you're talking about because the whole like wake up and be like, where am I? Like, what day is it? That type of stuff. Yeah, I remember those days. But like I said, it's been many, many yeah. moons since I, I've experienced that. And not gonna lie, like part of me panicked. Like as soon as I realized it was like okay, you know where the then I was like Saturday show, what time is it? I look and it's like you know nine thirty. Okay. I was like oh okay, like I got time. I got right. a I got a minute. So but, you get your energy drink. You yeah, get yeah. down that and off Kinda you go. Nursed that while I sat on the couch for the morning, you know, and then <laughs> Very made nice. my way in. But I yeah no, I had a legitimate panic attack when I woke up after you know a a, a good night of deep sleep. Sure. And then was good nights of deep sleep are to be um, relished. Let's put it that yes. way. Yeah, they uh, the older I get, the the fewer they they come. And I don't even have you know, like like you said, you've got the double whammy. I don't have the morning shift that I have to cover. I don't have children that hey. I have to attend to. They're worth every sacrifice. I'll be honest, but yes, there are days it's just like. Whew, all right, let's just get through this. But yeah, you know, know what? That's the fun part. Is we're on air. We're having a good time. Uh, weather along the Wasatch Front, blazing hot, and yeah. we apparently need to tell Oregon, Idaho, and Nevada to knock it off with all the smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for blowing all that our way. But uh, so far, so good, and hope you guys are all doing great out there wherever you might be, whether you're running errands, just chilling like Lundy talked about, just kind of chilling on the couch, doing whatever you're doing. Thanks for joining us here on the Zone Sports Network. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Uh, just kind of lay out of the show where we're going to go today, talk some college football. Uh, we need to talk about the FPI, ESPN's FPI. And, Eric, I think you may have seen this. Lundy, you may have seen it. BYU in particular, the new FPI that came out, apparently took BYU from a middling team to apparently a really good team. And we're going to find, we're going to dig into that and see if we can explain why that made that flip. We're also going to talk with Sam Farnsworth from KSL TV sports beat does a lot of good things. Wanted to catch up with him. Um, just a interest of full disclosure. I've known Sam for many, many years. We'll explain more when we have him on how long exactly I have known Sam. Lenny's sitting here looking at me like, how long could you have known this guy? You'll learn. You'll be right along there with our <laughs> listeners. Eric, I heard a little bit about it before we went on air. And obviously, we're going to talk about the NBA Finals here in a moment. Phoenix up 2-0, looking to take a 3-0 series lead tomorrow in Game 3 of that. And, of course, we got Saki, the 60-60 and 60 recap, and, of course, our favorite, technical fouls. So plenty to get to ahead on this show. But let's start off in the NBA, Lundy. NBA Finals ongoing, and Phoenix is up 2-0, and DJ and PK brought up a very interesting question yesterday. Is, is Are you Utah Jazz fans or just people in Utah, are you sitting there looking at Phoenix thinking, this was a missed opportunity, we could be up 2-0 in the NBA Finals right now? I mean, I think it's fair to feel that way, that, you know, to kind of look at it and be like, man, we should be there. But, you know, at the, at the same time, like, I'm going to kind of take almost the opposite stance and say, no, the Utah Jazz, you know, like if if they could be there, they would be there. Sure. And they're not there, so you know, it's you know, it, it a lot of fans I think should you know, they can feel justified in that the, to think, oh man, we had the opportunity and we missed it, but I think that the Jazz, you know, their the problems with the teams were exp- with the team was exposed 
uh, in that series against the Clippers, and then the Clippers lost to Phoenix. And so, you know, realistically, the Jazz are about, you know, the third best team in the West, the way things played out. So it's, you know, yeah, sure, maybe the Jazz would be up 2-0. Maybe they'd be down 0-2 if they made it this far. See, and that's that's the interesting part here, I think, for most people, is to look at it. Is it a missed opportunity? Yes. Because mm-hmm. let's l- look at the NBA this year. And it's, and a lot of people are like, well, it should have an asterisk on it. All these guys got hurt. You know what? The one team that did not get hurt, by and large, and they've been hurt in this series, by the way, uh, Dario Saric now done indefinitely with a torn ACL. Tory Craig, look, he did something serious. I have mm-hmm. not seen anything on Tory Craig. So two rotation players for Phoenix have gone down here. So they're finally, I guess, but they're not, those are also not star players. They didn't have Kawhi Leonard go down for the L.A. Clippers. They didn't have Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell playing on seemingly one leg for the Utah Jazz. Phoenix is the beneficiary of being healthy. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, I, just looking at it, they're up 2-0 two no, two in that series. I look at it, and I think they're on their way. They're going to win their first championship in franchise history, barring something completely unforeseen. I'm not counting out Milwaukee currently, but so far Milwaukee, they took a lead and they outscored them in the first quarter in game two, and then Phoenix is like, okay, yeah, that's cute. Let's let the big boys play here. I think Phoenix is on their way, and in many ways I can see why Jazz fans would feel like this is a big missed opportunity, but you also have to look at the fact that the two teams who by and large have avoided major injuries, speaking of Milwaukee, in addition to Phoenix – well, guess who's in the NBA Finals? Mm-hmm. You know, and the injuries thing, you know, we, we won't get too deep into that because, you know, that, that's already been talked by everybody across the nation. Everybody's brought that up. But the thing, you know, my, my view towards it is everybody, everybody played the same type of schedule. Yeah, they did. And you played 72 regular season games. Yeah, within <laughs> the same amount of time. Uh-huh. Injuries happen and they're part of the game. And it's unfortunate but you know that's where your depth comes into play sure and so you know it's it's not that it you know it it, it doesn't provide anybody an unfair advantage i would say like you know if you're prepared for it then you know phoenix and milwaukee they had people you know when chris paul went out with covid phoenix kept winning yep they did you know and so look yeah it's it's different they weren't without him for as long as other players you know other teams with other players sure but when it comes down to it you know the ball bounces weird sometimes like there's just things that you can't take into account there's things that you can't game plan for they strike randomly and that's part of the game it's part of every game and you just kind of have to deal with it and roll with it and so you know i don't put an asterisk next to any of this because it's just you know everybody faced the same things and it just happened to shake out the way that it did. If you're not able to overcome it, then, you know, oh, well, too bad. And see, that that's the thing about it right there is that I think that we all look at it and say, okay, what are the Jazz going to do here to bring it closer to home? What are they going to do in this offseason to set themselves back up? Uh, I think there's a lot, and this is just my opinion on this, is I, this is me kind of reading between the lines, if you will, in terms of what I've read on social media. I've seen a lot of Jazz fans say this is our missed opportunity, but what I feel like when they say that in some ways, and trust me, Twitter is a bad <laughs> gauge of this, but this is just me looking into it a little deeper than maybe I should, is I think... Why? You don't follow me on Twitter, either, <laughs> for good reason. Nobody should follow me. 
<laughs> well, I have not unfollowed you, Eric, so you're welcome on that. But the the thing about it is I look at it and I feel like a lot of Jazz fans feel like the quote-unquote championship window has just been slammed shut on them. I don't think it has. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think it's it's closed yet. It's I, you know, I think that this was the best opportunity they've had since the 90s. I would agree with that, yes. There's some people who say, well, what about that 08 team? No. no. Sorry, the Lakers and Kobe were standing in the way there. Yeah, no. <laughs> that was a great run. Yeah. No. See, that, that, that's the thing about it. I think there are Jazz fans who feel like, if we couldn't get it done now, when are we going to get it done? Here's the fact of the matter. Donovan Mitchell is 24 years old. Rudy Gobert is still very much in his prime, and maybe just entering his prime in some ways. You have two franchise cornerstones to build around here. I, I'm sure there are Jazz fans who are screaming, Rudy Gobert's not going to win us a championship. You know what? I'll argue with you on that because I think he can be a guy. He's he's not a guy who gets, quote-unquote, played off the floor in the playoffs. I don't subscribe to that theory. I'm sorry. Other teams like to throw that out there. That's just not me. But I feel like if you can build around those two, and I also believe that Mike Conley is worth bringing back. I truly believe that. The biggest question with the Mike Conley situation is years and dollars, and more in particular the years part of that is he going to hamstring you to bring him back for four years can you get him on a two-year deal can if you can get him on a shorter term deal that's kind of where i sit and think okay that's where it works better in my mind obviously we got a new regime running the running the show here in salt lake city too though we have ryan smith taking over as the owner Dwayne wade is now involved justin zanuck is now the chief decision maker in the front office for the utah jazz Things are going to go differently this offseason for the Utah Jazz than they have for the better part of a decade previously because Dennis Lindsay is now no longer calling the shots. The Millers are also out of the picture. I am very curious to see how things go here to keep the Jazz playing at a high level. I believe that Ryan Smith is very intent on winning a championship here. This is a guy who has been riding with the Jazz, riding dying with the Jazz for years, and he wants nothing more than to lift that trophy here in Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, and like you said, you know, there's a lot of people that may scream and complain that, you know, oh, Rudy Gobert can't win you a championship. You know, my response to that would be maybe. We don't know. You know, we, It's still yet to be determined. We sure. don't know until we see, Yeah. right? You know, and if the if – the, if the experts that are paid the big dollars think that they can win with him, I'm not going to disagree with them. I'm not going to tell them that they're wrong because, you know, I, uh, I I spend a lot less time per day thinking about it than they do. And I spend a lot less time evaluating and doing those kinds of things. And so I think that they're a little bit more qualified than me. And if they believe that, then I think that they're probably right. Um, now, sure, maybe 10 years from now, we look back and go, boof. You know, that was a bad idea. But who knows? Maybe 10 years from now, it's like, hey, a lot of people doubted this guy and he brought us a dynasty. Right. Yeah. We, we don't know. They, and so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But I do think I agree. I agree with you that this offseason is going to be very interesting because. For the for jazz fans, this is uncharted waters. It's been pretty stable and pretty consistent. As far as who's calling the shots for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now it's a big turnover there from owner to decision maker to just there's a lot of new faces a lot of new voices in the conversation 
And so, yeah, we, we don't know how this is going to be approached, and it's going to be fascinating to sit back and watch and see if it's going to kind of follow a similar rubric as far as how they make their decisions or if it's going to be this entirely new formula to just kind of shake things up and see what they can bring in and what they can change. And see, and bringing it back to the finals here for a minute, is that Phoenix has been the absolute dregs of the NBA for the better part of, well, no, 11, it was 11 straight years they didn't make the playoffs. And now suddenly they're getting right back into the playoffs, and now they look like they're on their way to hoisting the trophy down there in the Valley of the Sun. It's crazy to think how quickly things can change in the NBA, in pro sports in general. You get the right people, the right collection of talent, the right support staff, coaches, whatever it might be around them, and it's amazing what people can accomplish. Do I think that the Jazz are immediately going to go from Western Conference semifinalists this year to NBA Finals champion next year? I can't guarantee that, but there is a new dynamic. There's a new era kind of dawning here within the window of the Jazz have created here because I still believe you have two franchise cornerstones. Mitchell and Gobert, to me, are great guys to build around. Now, can you go out? Can you upgrade athleticism on the wing? Can you find a backup five who can maybe offer a little different look than Rudy or either the same look or a different look? What I mean by that is, can you find Rudy Gobert's replacement for the minutes he's off the floor and do that? Favors at points, Eric Favors had moments where he's able to do that, but it seemed like down the stretch he struggled to fill in that role. There are other people out there, and we've talked about this on this show, is that people say that the backup five should be an alternate look for the Jazz, maybe a five-out look, where it's a big man who can still rebound, can defend, but can step out to the perimeter and hit a shot and just look, make the Jazz look a little more dynamic. We're going to find out, and there's a lot of intrigue here with Justin Zanuck because he's been part of the front office, he's been part of the brain trust, been part of the decision-making process, but now he gets to make the final call. What does he want to see from this team? What does Ryan Smith want to see from this team? They want to see a different look. And until we get to free agents, until we get to the draft, there's still a lot of unknowns. Mm -hmm. um, bringing it back to the NBA Finals for a minute, I want to ask you, uh, through these first two games, what has been one of, if not your very favorite aspect to this NBA Finals? <sighs> My favorite part about the Finals this year, I think the biggest thing is just new blood. Yeah. And David Bach actually brought this up. Uh, we're going to have four straight years of a different champion in the NBA, which has been, it's been since I think the 80s since something like that has happened. So, and his question was, okay, is this the new reality for the NBA or is it just a aberration where we're going to go right back to having dynasties pop up and they're going to win three or four titles and then break up? Well, we don't know. We're going to find out. But the one thing I like is that Phoenix and Milwaukee, hey, welcome back to the finals. It's been a minute. Yeah. It's, it's been fun to see that part of it. And I've obviously had a little bit of a rooting interest because we have the local connections to the Milwaukee Bucks with both Sam Merrill in addition to Elijah Bryant. Uh, they're both on the Bucks roster right now. I saw both of them play in college. Both of them were great college players here, so we got that connection with them on that front. But I just look at this as a big-time uh, opportunity just to enjoy some – yeah, some of that, just that new dynamic of the NBA, some new power players, if it will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree with everything that you've said. I think my favorite part, and this is going to sound really dumb, mm -hmm. but my favorite thing about watching this finals has been, and this is just like the petty person inside of me. <laughs> okay. Um, 
that just loves just that kind of thing. My favorite thing that I've seen is whenever Giannis goes to the free throw line. Oh, jeez, yes. The fans in Phoenix counting. I don't know why, but that to me is just the funniest thing I've seen in an NBA Finals. I love it so much. Like, I just love the crowd getting involved and doing, you know, attempting to do mind games and things like that. It's it's so dumb, and it's so just, like, kind of meaningless. Like, it seems like something that you'd see in a college game, not in an NBA Finals, right? And something about that just, it fills my bitter soul with glee. Well, you're right. It, it, it's very much more of a college dynamic brought to the NBA because – do you okay in the in college the college game, guy misses airballs a shot. You're chanting airball at him for seemingly the rest of the game, and the oh, entire yeah. crowd's in on it. Yep. that doesn't happen in the NBA. No, never. So this is yeah, I, I'm with you. The ten, nine, or count up or down, whatever yeah. which way they want to go with it. It's actually yeah, it's very much more of a sophomoric <laughs> college dynamic that's been translated over to the NBA. And I'm with you. I'm kind of I'm here for it. It's fun. Like I just. The, like I, I really can't explain why I think it's great. I just do. Like when I first noticed that they were doing it, it was one of those things where I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like a whole fan base for an NBA team got coordinated and uh-huh. just decided, "Hey, this guy takes forever, so let's make fun of him for it." And I mean, you know, like Giannis, to his credit, you know, he's he's handled it relatively well. He doesn't make, you know, I mean, he's shooting. A significantly lower portion in the playoffs, sure. Like a, a significantly lower percentage yeah. in the playoffs than he yeah. did in the regular season. I don't know that it's necessarily due to the fact that people are counting. Um, it might just be the pressure. I don't know what it is, but I mean, he's, you know, he doesn't look like he's frustrated or upset by it. He no. just goes back to the line. He's like, oh, I airballed a free throw. Whatever. I'm going to take another one. Yeah. I the, the one thing about this, by the way, is I do wonder how many people have now learned that there is a 10 second rule on free throws from this because. I learned the hard way. DJ also learned the hard way. Uh, DJ said he was playing in, I think, an actual high school game where the crowd and the cheerleaders were, like, chanting stuff. So he said, I'm going to wait him out. I'm going to make them do this thing. And all of a sudden, the referee blows his whistle and says, and he, that's how he learned there was a 10-second count. I learned in, uh, well, what, what do you call it? it? It's not junior jazz. Uh, when you get to high school, what do they call it? City League, I guess is the easiest way. There, I guess different mm-hmm. community call it different things. We played in high school, and... I'm standing at the line one time, and I had something distract me, and I'm just – and I – trust me, I don't proclaim to be any proficient type of a basketball player, but something distracted me, and I took too long, and the referee blows his whistle, and that's 10 seconds, dead yeah. ball out of bounds. Yeah. And I'm like, huh? And I, I – trust me, I do wonder how many people who have watched the NBA for years and years and years even knew that rule was on the rule book. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I've seen it – that they haven't been calling it exactly, well, you know. I mean, granted, the, the the refs are probably doing their own count that might be a little bit slower sure. than the fans, you know, because I've seen the fans occasionally get to like twelve or thirteen on their count, yeah. and they still. One of the things that I wonder, though, and you know, maybe, maybe this is just me thinking, you know, and I don't know how hard it would be to completely change up your routine, but I wonder if Giannis might approach this as hey, this is an opportunity for me to get a new routine and actually turn this on its head and make it something that helps me, where they start counting, and he uses that to get into his rhythm, and it's like, <laughs> all right, here we go. Seven, eight, nine, shot. Shoot. 
I'd use it. Why not? Right? Use that. Use that. Because we're talking about a routine thing. These players mm-hmm. are all have routines. So I, I'm with you on that. Uh, our good friend Clint Peterson weighing in with two different thoughts here. Let's, let's get to these real quick. Uh, first thing says, nah, what do the Jazz struggle with the most? CP3 and Booker would have cooked that Jazz backcourt with the injuries in the Western Conference Finals. I have a hard time disagreeing with you on that one, Clint, because Donovan Mitchell, for everything he had done and put up 39-9 and in that Game 6 loss, was just otherworldly but severely hampered on the defensive side. Mike Conley, he said he was 50-60%. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would have been hard-pressed for the Jazz to slow down. Yeah, CP3 and Book uh, in that Western Conference Finals had it taken place. And then also he says, the same people who used to complain that there's no parity in the NBA now complain that there's too much parity in the NBA. <laughs> you can't win in the NBA. It's, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Yeah. But I think the NBA, and this is just me, I think that Adam Silver and the brain trust there in New York City, at NBA headquarters, I think they like the parity, honestly, yeah. because I think they see what the NFL's allure is. is teams can go from worst to first in a year, two tops. The NBA, it's very much not been that way for many, many years. Right. And if they can create that dynamic, it brings more fans, more of the casual fans in who are saying, oh, hey, my team's actually got a chance this year. I'm going to watch a little bit more of them. Mm-hmm. That's what they want to create. Do I think it's ultimately ever going to be that way? I have a hard time with that because basketball is such a smaller roster. You get three really good players. You're going to dominate a game unlike the NFL where a great quarterback sets you apart, sure, but there are still 10 other guys alongside him and 11 other dudes on the other side of the ball trying to slow you down. Right. Yeah, no, it's – I mean, a LeBron James has a greater impact on a team than a Tom Brady does. Yes. I mean, you know, you can look at – some of the best quarterbacks. I mean, look at Andrew Luck, right? I think that, and Eric, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people have looked at him as one of, you know, the great talents that's ever played in the NFL. When he's right, sure. And his career was very short because he was surrounded by not really much help, right? He, you had, know, his, he had his ass kicked because yeah. the offensive line was awful. Consistently, where LeBron James took some of the worst rosters in that we've ever seen in the NBA. He took them to the finals. <laughs> and so the Cleveland team he took to the finals uh, had what's his name? He used to play here for the Jazz um, guard. Mo Williams was like the number was the second best player on that roster. Zadrunas Ilgauskas, Anderson Verizhao. Just think of, if you could look at those Cleveland rosters. Yes, he drags some guys. Eric, you have a thought on that? Okay. All right. Well, uh, so I just. I look at it, and it's been—it's a good point there, there, Clint. That yeah, there's a lot of people who said there's no parity. All these super teams keep winning, and all of a sudden parity shows up. Well, you, where are the stars at? Okay, <laughs> yeah. you can't have it both ways here, no. folks. And I just, you know, like, uh, you know, I feel like I'm consistent in this, where it's like, you know, I was like, ah, super teams, you know, lack of parity. This is not very fun. You know, it's the same kind of thing that I cheer for in March Madness is, you know, like, you know, if if my personal favorite teams are eliminated, it's just like, all right, chaos, let's go. Let's burn burn this thing, you know, burn this thing to the ground. And we've gotten that this year a little bit, kind of. I mean, you know, the Suns are the two seed, so (laughs) maybe that's that doesn't count. But I think it counts because it's two small market teams that haven't been there for a long time. 
just burn this thing to the ground. Let's get let's get chaotic and weird. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Gary uh, Scooter Burke, our friend on Twitter, saying, "Hey, I'm listening to you guys out there in West Valley." Scooter, thanks for reaching out. Always good to have you tuning in. Clint, you as well. If you guys do have thoughts on anything we talk about today, feel free to reach out. I'll just say Yawk and Lundy. Lundy is at 24-7 Lundy, 247 Lundy. Eric at Eric18Utah, and I'm at Jacob C. Hatch. You also can tweet at the station uh, zone Twitter feed at Zone Sportsnet if you have any thoughts. All right, guys. We'll be back on the other side. We've got to talk a little college football here. And the, the the FPI thing is just this is so funny to see BYU get such an uptick. We'll also talk about Utah and where they sit in the FPI as well. We'll get to all of that next, right here on the Saturday show. In the yard or making a quick trip to the home improvement store. We've got your backs. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Yawk and Lundy along for the ride on your Saturday afternoon. And the sounds you're hearing here are one Tim Lacombe. Of course, those pre half and post game shows here on the Zone Sports Network during Utah Jazz broadcast. Longtime member of BYU's uh, men's basketball coaching staff, formerly worked for Ron McBride in the Utah men's basketball program, but he moonlights as a rock star. Uh, lead singer of the Party Hounds, and they played a show last night at the Valor. I heard it was fun times. Uh, I think all three of us here, Eric included, are actually headed down to the Valor in Provo tonight to watch the Party Hounds in action. Oh man, I'm so excited for this. Like it's the last concert I went to was February 14th, 2020. Okay. It was the Toasters at Liquid Joe's. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of a concert junkie. Like I love being there, love live music, and I've missed it. It has been so long, and so to to finally be able to get back into a venue and to hear a band, and you know, even better. It's somebody that we know. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's somebody that we know that we're friends with and uh-huh. we can go down and support. It's just going to make for a really good time. And the best part is, by the way, any of you out there who are looking for something to do tonight, if you can get down to Provo, get down there. The Velour is actually reopening. They have been closed for the entirety of the pandemic. This is a venue. It's a small venue. Uh, Corey Fox has been the longtime owner of it. He's done incredible things. Uh, I have been going to the Valor since I was a teenager. I'm now in my mid-30s. It's been around for many, many years. I went there many times during my college days. I saw a lot of great concerts. It's a small, intimate venue that needs all the support it can get. And the best part about this with the Party Hounds deal is the ticket prices are $10 a ticket, and it's all to support the reopening of the Valor. The Valor is having their traditional reopening celebration next weekend. Uh, but you can do some good things, support both Tim Lacombe, the Party Hounds, but in addition to supporting a small business here in our communities here in Utah by supporting the Valor. If you're looking for something to do tonight, I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to having some fun. And Eric mentioned the fact that he's never really been to Provo at all. Lundy, have you been to Provo a lot in your life? Uh, 
Yeah, I've been there a decent, like okay. a, you know, a handful of times. Well, see, Provo but. is my proverbial backyard of where I grew up. I grew up in Orem, Utah, which is a stone's throw away from Provo. And don't get on Twitter and tell me that Orem and Provo are the exact same things. I will tell you, you are dead wrong. Orem is set up on a hill for a reason. Did I sound like a homer enough? <laughs> 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 well, I just, I, Provo is a place I spent many, many days, nights. I, I went to school down there. I'll. If you guys want to go have some fun in Provo, we can go find it tonight. And fun is a relative term because fun means different things in Provo than does at other places. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Eric, I, I kind of told you before we went on air today about Provo. And it, you can have plenty of fun down there. It's just it's yeah. a different place. I do think though that like my caffeine intake already has exceeded the legal limit for down there. So, so like, you'd we, be surprised. Might have, to, might have to fly under the radar a little bit. I don't want to get any fines. You'd be surprised. Um, the, the funny thing is, though, there is now a Starbucks that is closer to BYU campus than almost any other restaurant or establishment. <gasps> it's legitimately, I'd say, it, the closest point to it, maybe 20 steps you could be at Starbucks and be, then go on BYU campus. It is right there. The only vending machine I have ever seen that carries caffeine-free Coke. It is coming back to me now. I've been to Provo one time to go to BYU's campus to see, like, some sort of play or something. Okay. And the only vending machine I've ever seen with, like, caffeine-free non-diet Coke, like Coke but just without caffeine in it, was on the BYU campus. Uh, Wild experience. BYU now does allow fully caffeinated beverages on campus for many, many years. It was very much that way, Eric. You're you're not wrong in that regard. But, yeah, I'm excited to get on to Provo. I just heard from Tim Lacombe. He's actually going to join us at 1.30 talk about this. So. All right. So we got a full show. We're going to have Sam Farnsworth at the top of the 1 o'clock hour. We'll have Lacombe at 1.30. Let him riff a little bit on what to expect from tonight's concert. Uh, but let's talk a little bit here about college football for a moment, Lundy. Uh the ESPN Football Percentages Index is one of the better metrics out there, in my opinion, for predicting what the future is going to hold for the upcoming football season. They put out their original projections, and gonna, the funny thing is they put them out, and a lot of people said, okay, and they were talking about it. And then just this week they said, hey, we actually had um, some issues with our numbers. Let me get the exact quote here. Uh, from Seth Walder, who's part of the team. It said that we recently discovered that a previous preseason release of CFB FPI contained data and modeling errors. We're re-releasing FPI today after remedying those issues. We regret the error and apologies to college football fans for the confusion. Update, update you can find updated projections here. Now, BYU checked in originally as the number 63 team in their original FPI release uh, that they released earlier on. I think it was earlier in the spring when they brought them out. And, okay, that's a middling program in the country. A lot of people, okay, said, well, that shows that BYU is going to fall back to earth after their 2020 season. Well, with the new one coming out, BYU has now jumped up to 38, a jump of some 25 spots. Now, Utah didn't have necessarily as big of a jump there. They check in at number 30. So BYU is just eight spots behind the Utes. The projections for both of these teams, this is what I want to talk about here with you, Lundy, is it projects Utah with 7.9 wins against 4.3 losses. And trust me, I know it doesn't, you're probably 7.9 and 4.3. It's not an even number. It's, it's purposely done that way. BYU, meanwhile, 8.1 wins, 3.9 losses. What should we make of this, Lundy? Well, it's, I mean, it's 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 always tough to, you know, I mean, because a lot of this we talk about because 
it's the summer and we're getting yes. ready and we're excited. You know, a lot of this ends up kind of being meaningless, but it's it's also like I don't think it's worthless, right? Like sure. there there are things that you can read into this where um, some of these advanced metrics and things do come into play. You know, the the amount of returning experience. Um, you can look into, okay, that here's the schedule. You know, it takes mm -hmm. these kinds of things into account. And so it does give you kind of a good area to set your baseline expectations. Sure. Well, and see, the one thing about BYU in this regard is that 63 projection that had them had them achieving between a 6 and 6 record and a 7 and 5 record. And now with this, they shoot up a little bit. Now it's looking 8 and 4. And that's a big difference, right? Like it is. Two wins, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you consider that it's, you know, a significant portion of your schedule, like, you know, six and six and eight and four mm -hmm. is a, that that's a sizable, you know, you're going from just barely making a bowl to, okay, this is actually a pretty solid team. Yeah, and so it has both of the local teams here sitting projected eight and four records. Now, I think many Utah fans out there are going to argue, well, 8-4 and four against uh, Utah's schedule looks different than BYU's. The one thing BYU's going to retort with, well, we're playing seven Power 5 teams, so we're right there with you. Yeah. Well, you know, and, like, I, I agree with both sides where it's like, you know, yeah, an 8-4 and four schedule against a, a, an actual Power 5 conference, like when you're a member, member of it, mm -hmm. it is different. But BYU's not playing their 2020 schedule again where no. it was zero Power Fives, right? <laughs> yes. Now, Utah plays nine Power Five games. BYU plays seven. There's a difference there. Sure. But it's still, I mean, eight wins against seven Power Five, you know, so that's that's what? You've got your five group of fives. Mm -hmm. That means that you're winning at least three of those Power Five matchups. Correct, yeah. If you're getting there. That's, you know, that's not a bad season. No, it, it would actually, and the funny thing about it is, I think it, this is just my personal opinion on this, and if you're a BYU fan out there who disagrees with me, feel free to reach out. Uh, obviously, I love the interaction with you guys. We'll get to those thoughts here in a moment. But if, let's say BYU, they overachieve, and by the way, the funny thing about this is, is they actually also project um, to win out, like to go undefeated. Uh, the chances for Utah, according to the FPI, to win out are 0.2%, but BYU 0.5%. I think it's the difference of nine power five games, seven power five games. I I, compl I think that's it. that that right there. That that metric alone is probably determined by the number of power five teams you're playing. Now, it is just my personal opinion that if BYU were to achieve a ten and two or an eleven and one record against this year's schedule, they would be more highly thought of than they were in 2020. And that was a top 15 team in the final mm -hmm. rank, top number 11 in the final rankings. Yeah, and I would agree with that. You know, like, if you can go 10-2 and two with that many Power 5 teams on the schedule, yeah, you're absolutely going to be viewed as, as a lot better than... I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, in recent years, teams get left out of, you know, group of five teams that go 11-1, and one, tend to get left out of New Year's Six conversations, right? Unless they're the number they're unless they're the top group of five yeah. team. You know, I mean BYU last year. They they dropped that one game and instantly it was like, well, okay, yep, let's move them out to the side, even though they were a good team. Where teams in power five conferences, you lose one game and it's like, well, we'll still see. They could still make the playoff. 
Yeah. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I do think that these individual game projection numbers are, are fairly interesting, especially some of you know the changes and the differences even with like the S and P plus. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, there's it's SP plus. Remember, they got they got in trouble for using oh, right. S and P plus. Yeah, Stupid it's SP thing. plus now. Way to go, guys. Yeah. Um, so we got Utah's in front of you. You got BYU in front of you. I've got Utah's pulled okay, up. Okay, right so let's, now. let's go through Utah real quick, then we can get through BYU. So obviously, you know, I think Weaver State. Nobody's going to be surprised. 94.7 percent win probability. That's kind of low considering a lot of FCS games, but okay. Yeah, well, that, that's respect to Weber State. Obviously. Yeah, that that and that's because of Weber State's standing in yeah. the FCS right now. Mm-hmm. Other, you know, um, the one that's going to stand out, and this is interesting. Yeah, uh, BYU September 11th. Utah's win projection, 47.5%. BYU, 52.5%. Yeah, and, you know, that's one that I look at, and I, you know, and I maybe you are maybe you agree with me, maybe you disagree, but I, I look at that and go, that's, mm, I, I think that's low. I think that's very low. Yeah, here's my opinion on this. This is It's a home game for BYU. I think mm-hmm. that's what flipped that percentage. Because this, I think, yeah. I think they probably looked at it as a 50-50 game, and we all know in betting parlance, the home team gets three points. Right. That, to me, is what swung this to BYU's favor. But it's my personal opinion. I would have had Utah with the 50-whatever percent and BYU with the 40-whatever. Yeah, and it's interesting. The, the SP Plus, uh, Utah's win percentage in that is 71%. Okay. So that's a, that's a really big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, what does ESPN's algorithm know that – SP plus doesn't that the rest of us don't you know like what are we what are we missing here what's what's and so you know that's what I love about it is it's going to throw a lot of gas on this rivalry fire you know and all of the lead up talk to it because I I I, while I no longer really like you know involve myself in rivalry banter I certainly did in my younger you know like high school years I do enjoy watching it from a distance you know from the outside just kind of like you know watching people poke and prod as long as they don't take it to extreme lengths and you know mm-hmm. cross any lines or anything like that i think it's really fun i think it creates a fun environment and so i think that this will help foster that um even though you know i i uh i i, I don't necessarily think that it'll be as close to a toss-up but it'll be interesting um but yeah, what are there any percentages that stand out to you, either on Utah's or BYU's? Well, see, the the most interesting one, obviously, is going to drive the debate here, is that BYU Utah. Right. Obviously, that that one's a big one. Uh, the one thing about BYU's in particular is the fact that BYU, according to the the win probability numbers, projects I, I believe it's ten wins for the Cougars. They were their their favorite. The the percentages say they have over fifty percent chance of winning ten of their games. The only two that are below fifty percent, yeah. I'm, it are at Baylor, 41.5%, and at USC, 31.2%. The rest of them, BYU actually has the quote-unquote percentages in their favor. That surprises me. The fact that BYU, according to the win probabilities, mm-hmm. has 10 wins. That, that to me, I, I've kind of said all along, of course, if you guys want more of my thoughts on BYU and Utah, check out the Locked On Utes and Locked On Cougars podcast that I do. But I've always thought all along that BYU to achieve, were to achieve an 8-4 and four record, which is what they're projected at with the overall FPI, I would have said that's a successful season in 2021 for BYU. But if you go by these win probability numbers, 10 wins, if you're a BYU fan, you're over the moon. Oh yeah, you're absolutely taking that, especially if it includes a win against Utah. Oh, okay, that I'm 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 being frank right here. 
I think there are a lot of BYU fans within the sound of our ears that would say, I'll take a 6-6 six and six record and win over Utah over a 10-2 and two record and a loss against Utah. Maybe I'm wrong about that, and let, let me know if I am wrong, but I think there are a lot of BYU fans who would take that. I, I think that you're, you're right. I think that a lot of BYU fans would take that. Um, you know, I can't speak towards the Utah fans because I think that a lot of them would say that, you know, hey, if it's 10-2 and two and a loss to BYU, we're perfectly fine with that. Yeah, probably. Um, you know, now when it actually, you know, if, if it were to actually happen, maybe it turns out to be a different story. Maybe it doesn't. Sure. But, we'll, you know, we'll have to see. I personally don't expect that to be the case this year. Eventually it will be the case because all streaks come to an end. It's been a pretty impressive streak since so yeah. far, though. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is going to be the year, but who knows? That's the beauty of college football. That's you never know, and you can never tell. It's Yeah, we are four weeks away from the open open of fall camps, obviously, just under two months away from the season actually getting going. I think uh, for Utah, it's 54 days today, 56 days for BYU. Uh, Utah State also 56 days out. By the way, Utah State projected with a 5-7 and seven record, according to the FPI, but they have them in the bottom 15 of the entire FBS ranks, so... Might be a little bit of a struggle this year for the Aggies up there in Logan. We'll find out, though. But like you mentioned, it's kind of the, the beauty of this sport is you never quite know what's going to happen. All right. Coming up next, we will get to technical fouls. Uh, get to your guys' response. Got a number of people tweeting in at us on different topics we've covered on today's show as well. We'll get to all of that ahead right here on the Saturday show. It's Cougars and Aggies, even on the weekend. The weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show. It is time as we round out the 12 o'clock hour for technical fouls. Uh, I, I hate saying the word reward, but we are rewarding just bad behavior and stupid behavior in sports. So. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? Sure, that's a good point. Uh, Lundy, where are we going this week for your technical foul? So I wanted to, you know, kind of some people I'm sure are aware, uh, UFC 264 tonight, mm-hmm. Conor McGregor is fighting Dustin Poirier for the for the third time now bringing their number of matchups equal to the number of times that Conor McGregor has retired in the last four years. (laughs) So I'm giving a uh, Conor McGregor. He's getting a technical foul for just constantly, you know, I mean, like it it seems like retirement for him is more of a promotional material than an actual serious retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when you consider, you know, like he's one win away from getting another title shot. He's won one match in five years it's been a hot minute like outside of his name conor mcgregor has not really done from being one of the biggest stars that mma has ever had mm-hmm. conor mcgregor hasn't been relevant he's and made, he's made all his money recently off of um his uh what was it, it was um irish whiskey yeah proper number 12 yeah 180 million dollars all told i think in his portion of that sale the thing that interests me the most about conor mcgregor is i i'm fascinated by him simply like the way he goes about the promotional side 
But way he has attacked this third fight versus the second Poirier fight is so different. Because if you watch any media that he did during that first, that second Poirier fight, he was very respectful, very measured. He was like, he basically was like, I, I respect this man. I'm going to like, you know, like, I, I see what he does. And he has come out for this fight and just taken a completely different angle, which is very interesting. To me. Well, I mean, you know, the disrespect is kind of Conor McGregor's M.O., right? Like, he just, he runs his mouth. He's, and that's what's made him such a good star because, you know, in, in my opinion, Conor McGregor grew, he grew to his stardom and his, his fame based on running his mouth and winning very opportunistically. Sure. He, in my opinion, he's not the most technically sound fighter. He, you know, he's really like, he's talented for sure. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, if I were to get into an octagon with him, I would be his fastest knockout ever because (laughs) I, you and me both, I don't know anything about, you know, like actually fighting. Cover up. What do you mean? Cover up. I don't want to be in here. You know, I've done, a couple of like training thing, you know, like very basic that basically doesn't actually qualify me to do anything. Fair, um, but you know, I, I enjoy watching the fights, and I I just think that Conor McGregor, you know, if he loses tonight, expect another an, uh, retirement announcement before his next fight because he's going to he's going to retire again, and then he'll get another fight. And that's so. I mean, you know, technical foul on Conor McGregor for for making Brett Favre look like he that was actually committed to retirement, but. To play devil's advocate, Mike Tyson and Floyd Mayweather are doing the exact same thing. No, now. they're not. They, they absolutely are no. with like the Logan Paul stuff and. The, but those were exhibition fights. Yeah, this is not. This is actual competition yeah. to get another shot at a title. Those were, those were purposely set up as an exhibition fight. They do not count on the actual. This record. is different. You don't think Conor McGregor views this as just another exhibition no. fight as a way to up this his actually profile? goes. This goes on his record. This I'm goes just, on his permanent record, and it gets him another shot at a title. I'm just saying, he is, sure, he'll, quote, retire, but he's about to catch a check because the next big McGregor fight that's coming is one of those Paul Dweebs is going to sign him. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, they, and, they will. Don't laugh. Okay, that is going to happen okay, within the next two years. Here's the thing. It's genius. Why not print that money? Oh, yeah. 100%. Exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, like, look, if, if Conor McGregor were doing exhibition fights, then I'd be understa- a little bit more understanding for it, right? Because that's what, like, Floyd Mayweather, he does these because he's not coming out of retirement. He's still retired. This is still an exhibition fight. You know, it's, I, I guarantee that he has, when he does his sparring matches just to stay in shape, he gets better competition than he got from, one, you know, one, fighting one of the Pauls. Yeah, like he gets better competition that way. Floyd Mayweather, if he had, he wanted to finish that fight in the first round, it would have been over. Yeah, I, and he's fifty years old. Like. I don't believe that. Seriously, I I think that both those fighters have no business stepping in a ring right now. They are fifty years old. Well, Flo- no, he, have you Logan seen Paul? Ain't or yeah. is it Jake Paul? Which one did he fight? He, I think he fought Jake. Okay. I'm not saying I don't that remember. Logan or Jake Paul are good boxers. I am not Actually, saying. I think, they, I think they are good boxers. I am not saying I think that. Given for the length of time yeah, they've, they've been trained. boxing, they're they're yeah, they're, they're fairly, better than they're I would proficient. expect them to. But like, but. I think you lose it a little bit at some point. Floyd Mayweather is going. If he were to step in the ring and actually, there was not behind the scenes machinations about oh this thing's gonna go we're gonna get some hits in we're gonna lean on each other for a while <laughs> he would get knocked out 
Okay. By one of the Pauls? Absolutely not. Yeah, not by the If he's fighting a legitimate fighter, like yeah. an actual professional fighter, there is, then yes. There is a 50-50 chance he gets knocked out by one of the Pauls if it's an actual legitimate fight that they're trying to Eric, win. Eric, Eric. There I think is a 50-50 chance. There is a 0% <laughs> chance. No. A 0 If he wanted to, like Floyd Mayweather, yeah, sure, he's lost a step, yeah. but he still has so much speed that he could go in there and not take a single hit and still knock out his opponent in the first round he, if it's one of the Paul brothers. He is the greatest defensive boxer I have ever seen. He is so He good. is also 50. He's still yeah. elite at that. I can give you that. All yeah. right. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll, we'll have to revisit this. I, 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 Technical th- foul on Eric for that <laughs> take. <laughs> I think the Paul brothers gonna knock out Floyd Mayweather. Fifty-fifty shot. No, 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 not 0%. even close. He's been training for how long? How long has he been a professional boxer? Like long, two long and a half to three years now. You know, the Pauls. Okay, are... now how long has Floyd Mayweather been a professional boxer? It has been longer 10 than you've been alive since he has been in a real fight. Yeah, but does he still train? Yeah, he still trains regularly. If you watch his training stuff, if you watch even Mike Tyson's training, yep. it's terrifying. Mike Tyson scares the crap out of me. He's 60 now? Something, something yeah, he's, he's getting up there, and he's still got speed and power. P.S., uh, by the way, if you guys wanted a really fascinating podcast about the ear-biting incident and like where the ear ended up, uh, there's a podcast out there I can recommend to you guys. It was I listened to it yesterday. It was fascinating. Oh, I, I'm all in for that. <laughs> uh, by the way, i got to get my quick technical foul in here. We'll get to break. <laughs> Did not say that much time. Uh, technical <laughs> foul on the random fan who just walked onto the tee box and thought, you know what? I'm going to take a club out of Rory McIlroy's bag and take a swing with it. I uh, walked up. He grabbed the head cover originally and kind of pulled the head cover off one of the woods and then grabbed, like I think it was like an eight iron, something like that. And you can see both John Rom and Rory McIlroy are both standing there, like, "What is going on?" It was, just, and let's be honest, I think it's a little bit different in the U.S. sports area than it is because they're playing the Scottish Open over there. In the U.S., there been a security guard tackling that oh, dude five 100%. seconds, and like they're like, "Sir, can you step off of the tee box over here?" I can't do a good English accent, so I would have tried or Scottish accent, but just. I don't get what that guy was thinking, but technical foul on him. There's no doubt about that. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for technical fouls. (laughs) Come back on the other side. We're going to catch up with Sam Farnsworth from KSL TV and Sportsbeat over there. I'll get some thoughts on the upcoming Olympics, how everything's going for him. Get some of his thoughts on the local sports scene as well. 1.30, Tim LaCombe will stop by to talk about the concert tonight. We'll also get to Saki, uh, 60 and 60 recap. We've got a loaded 1 o'clock hour coming up right here on the Saturday show.